Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. Joining us today is Danny Baglivi Fiore, known best as Sweet Danny B, owner of Sweet Danny B's Cookie Kitchen and Cafe on Bangs Avenue here in Asbury Park, home of the life-changing chocolate chip cookie, no lies detected, and some of the prettiest designs you'll ever see on a cookie. We talked to Danny about her previous lives working for Ralph Lauren and Martha Stewart, how she found herself opening up a cookie shop here in Asbury, and what do you do when Martha Stewart blows up your cell phone by giving your business a shout out on national television. Welcome, Danny. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark. So subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. From Route 35 to Convention Hall, Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. So welcome to Asbury Pod, everyone. It's May 2nd, Sunday. I keep looking over my shoulder because, and Rita was just here, Joe's partner. I have three baby raccoons in my backyard that I, that literally don't care that I have dogs that would eat them. And one of them is just like literally walking around the backyard. So after this podcast, I'm going to call a rescue and just ask what we should do. I don't, I, I literally could take a picture right now of a baby raccoon walking around my backyard right now. I think um, a year of pandemic, like, you know, so we have the foxes on the beach. Um, deer, we've also had deer on the beach. And Rita's sister in Marlboro in the middle of suburban Marlboro has three foxes living under the shed in their backyard. Wow. Um, I think it's like nature's nature's like, well, it looks like the humans are gone. Yeah. We're, we're coming back. <laughs> Asbury Park seal, which I am so excited to see. Right. Yeah, it's well, I will tell you that it, it is one. They're adorable. They're adorable. These raccoons they, and they're tiny. I mean, they're like this. Rita just saw it, Joe, mm. uh, Joe's partner, Rita and Russell from Watermark just came over, <laughs> came over <laughs> to look at it. So it, it's just really anxiety provoking because one, I don't know where the mom is. Obviously, hopefully she's coming back. And they are like, these three baby raccoons are just like, you know, very bold. They're, they're a very bold group of baby raccoons that I don't know that they should be this bold. Well, this is terrible. My, my first thought is that you have three rabies producers back there. <laughs> I wouldn't go anywhere near them. You know. Yeah, I, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call just a rescue and say, should what should, should I like? Sit? I'm wondering if I should put some snow fencing or something around my 
just so they're not like literally climbing my kid's swing set, which again, if I didn't have dogs, I wouldn't care. It's just, I have dogs. So I mean, don't, when they usually just end up in the garbage, they usually just end up in the garbage camps. That's like, the that's, what they're, that's what they're, they're, they're there for your garbage. Yeah. Yeah, they're well, there. They're, they're, they're li- I, I'm telling you, you're going to see me looking like this, which it's a podcast so nobody can see but the two of you. But <laughs> me looking out there, it is literally just walking around my backyard. That's weird for daylight. A little, so, so, I, so I checked with Dr. Google, and Dr. Google has advised me that mom raccoons, when they have babies, will go out to get food because they have to get so much food to produce the milk for the babies. And so that's the time that oftentimes the babies will, you know, be bold for lack of a better word. So I don't know if she's just out getting food. I wish she would hurry home. (laughs) I do. I actually, I have a follow-up question to this. With the foxes on the beach and like the wildlife on the beach, like as mayor, deputy mayor, do you have to do anything about this? Like... I don't. So, so that's a great question because I get it a lot. And my understanding of the way the SPCA, because we also had foxes on third Ave and stuff is, you know, they don't, unless it's injured or somehow like being aggressive in nature in some way, SPCA, SPCA has a contract for Asbury. They don't get involved. Like their position is leave it alone, which, which is also, you know, my position as well. Right. Um, so no, we don't do anything. I just want to, and the only reason I would call a rescue just to get advice on, should I just not be sitting up here all night anxious and worried about these baby raccoons? Is this something normal? And if somebody tells me it's something normal, wonderful. I won't worry about it and just take my dogs out on leashes. But well, I have never, not- I've never had this before, but I've also lived in apartments for ever. Right. So yeah, I don't we, have, we have raccoon issues all the time. The thing with the fox that concerns me is like once it starts getting really busy in Ocean Grove, like I don't, there, like there's no forest nearby. Like what, right. they're just gonna pack up their luggage and like, where are they going? Like it, it just know. seems like they would need to be helped to like a woods or something like that. Cause there's nothing like close by. Um, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I will mean, say, according to Russell Lewis, who owns Watermark, there's a wide range of families living under our boardwalk, including foxes and raccoons. Really? So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's where they go. Well, I don't know. I, again, let me reiterate, I've lived in apartments <laughs> for the last 35 years of my 44 years of my life. So I don't, I have no idea this is all new to me, but it's... If we have, uh, if, there are, if there are rats under the boardwalk, the foxes will eat them. So maybe so, that's why they go under the boardwalk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, let's, let's circle back to the reason we're on we this podcast. <laughs> Which is sweet Danny B. And I will say, Danny, you are our favorite guest so far because you dropped us off so much swag that nobody has bothered to drop us off any swag. So any future listeners that we book on the show, just know that Danny set the bar with a lot of swag. I know, Danny, I have to, my first question was like, uh, why, uh, Danny, why have you not single-handedly uh, cured um, global warming, but now that I had the cookies, I'm going to go easier on you. <laughs> so good, good looking out there. Made it. <laughs> of course, uh, you know, it's always nice to butter up your host, but on top of it, I, you know, I like to remind everybody about what we do and what, you know, the whole like vibe. So I thought I'd drop some stuff off and I know 
no one's been in our shop in a while. I don't know when we're going to have anybody else, uh, anyone back inside. So I thought I'd just bring get some sweets. Well, listen, you're, you're at the top of our list of, of favorite guests. So Danny, just do a little bit of an intro and also kind of, and people are hearing me because I'm eating Sour Patch Kids, but do a little <laughs> bit of an intro and a little <laughs> bit of why, um, you know, what kind of brought you to Asbury Park? Um, okay, so I am, uh, my name is Danny Boglevi Fiori. Uh, Sweet Danny V is my nickname and also the name of my business. Um, we have a cookie shop here in Asbury Park on Bangs Avenue. Um, the official name is Sweet Danny V um, Cookie Kitchen and Petite Party Studio. So one of the elements of our business that we were doing before COVID was also uh, teaching people how to decorate and ice cookies. We had workshops every weekend, private parties, um, and then we do full cookie catering. Um, we do cookies for every occasion. And um, let's see, I also am a food stylist. You know, I used to work on television, um, kind of have like a big background in food, including waitressing as well, so. And, you know, if anyone hasn't seen the, um, the designs, your, your cookies are really um, like beautifully made, right? They're just wonderful. I was gonna uh, say, so when I was Googling you, it, you come up as something called a prop artist. Yes, so. Right. So when I was working um, for Martha, for the Martha Stewart show, I was a set and prop stylist. I was like a senior set stylist on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the things that uh, kind of like lends to the signature look of our stuff. It's kind of like, you know, I am particular about styling and laying things out a certain way. Um, so that has to do all with like prop and set styling. So I also have to see that here. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing I'm going to say, and, and I don't know if you'll know this, Danny, but you, um, the, before the shutdown, we had our last live AP pod, which was on the boardwalk with Ming. Um, and we had, and uh, Asbury Park Women's Convention was, we, we did two shows that day, but Asbury Park Women's Convention was one. And that was the very last in-person AP pod we did. And oh, we, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and we didn't. We weren't able to air that one, Amy. Right? We were not. Oh my God, you're right. I forgot we didn't air it because we didn't want people to be confused about going to the event. Because at right. that point, it was a still early March, and we were like, "Oh, do we have the event? Do we not have the event?" You know, we no. were like, you know, and for those people just listening, um, Danny's part of this like little group of us called the Asbury Park Women's Convention. We try to put these events on promoting women. And we had like this amazing event with uh, former Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadano, current Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver. Um, and, a, you know, it was kind of like a conversation with the Lieutenant Governors among a wide range of other things, which um, I'm sure Danny will talk about too, but we, we were highlighting all the women businesses, which was astronaut. We, we had counted up all the women businesses. That was astronomical. The, the number of female run or own businesses. We had a whole like weekend planned. And then I think about a week or so after that podcast, we canceled it. It was, yeah, that was a crazy time. That was also a crazy amount of work. And it, it every year like it is. Yeah, it always is, and you're always stressed. I'm always stressed, like, right before an event. I think the the biggest stress before an event, other than the Women's March, was 
uh, our feminist Halloween because we thought no one was coming. <laughs> um, every and every year, every year we're like, nobody's coming to this event. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. And mind you, like seven or eight hundred came to the first one, and then the and then even the um, women, the the feminist Halloween, it was over two hundred. It was like near capacity at the Asbury's room. <laughs> No, yeah, really? but every time we plan this, we're like, we're going to be the only four people sitting in the audience at this event. Nobody else is going to be the four of us staring at the lieutenant governor. Nobody's coming. It's going to be so embarrassing. Like, I'm always like, it's just going to be so embarrassing. It's going to be like 10 people, especially like in the room of like the Asbury, like party room, which is big, you know, I, that, but it worked out to be so great. And that was such a fun event, the uh, Feminist Halloween. The costumes were amazing. It was really, really fun. That's the, Amy, that's the event that Rita won the costume costume. She did. She was the pill. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah, she it was brilliant. Rita was brilliant. Brilliant costume. Brilliant costume. I know. And I wonder what that's about that we think nobody's going to come to every one of our events. That's probably something we should examine. We actually have that like in our personal life too. We throw, uh, Keith and I throw an annual um, cookies, boozy cookie swap party. And like literally every year. And he always like gets me started on this. He's like, oh my God, what if like five people come? Like he's like, meanwhile, we have the party and there's like 40 people like crammed into like our kitchen. But it's just, it's a weird phobia. I'm not sure what that's about. Some kind I don't of know what that's about either, but at some point we should probably deal with that, but so, certainly not today. Well, since, since you're both here, are, you know, is the, is the women's conference going to be rescheduled for the upcoming year? Do you think it's, we're going to be able to restart that? I don't know. Amy? I don't know. And I will also say that because of the indoor dining, I am not in the good graces of the current governor. You know, we put up that fight about indoor dining, which was really not about indoor dining, but was pro- about providing guidance to our local restaurant community who were struggling to survive. Um, but I am, I would not say that they're huge fans of mine. So we'll see. <laughs> I think it's still like, jury's still out on like what people are doing, you know, like what is see here now happening, you know, our concerts happening. I just think like, with what we had planned, there were so many, there are so many businesses that we want people to be able to stop into and like visit. Like if we can't have everybody do it, it's, we might as well wait right at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also like, a con- you know, to get this former Lieutenant governors in a room, we had a great moderator, um, uh, Jeannie LaRue from Trenton, but she was like a great moderator. Like, I'm not sure that you could do that at like 35% capacity. I just don't know that that would work. But anyway, but we got to get back on track for a a few minutes. So, okay. So I want to talk about a couple things. Um, uh, We joke all the time about Asbury's, um, people came to Asbury out of bankruptcy or breakup, but you were neither one of those categories. No. You were not breaking up and you were not going into bankruptcy. Kudos to you, Danny. Luckily, luckily. Uh, No. So um, my husband, Keith Fiore, grew up in Seabright. Um, I, as an Italian Jersey girl, spent the summers down the shore. Uh, down the shore is what we said. And um, my grandparents would rent a house in Lavalette. My parents would rent a house in Ortley Beach. And um, basically, like, as I got older, I just started, like, migrating up closer to up north, you know, um, 
we had a house in Lavalette that we rent every summer for a long time. Um, but we had some friends, Amanda and Kevin, who you know, Amy, um, moved to Interlaken. And we were really missing them because they left Hoboken. We were up in the Weehawken area. And they were like, oh, you should check out, you know, come, start come down. And we started hanging out in Asbury Park. And Keith had always been here because he was a musician um, earlier on. He was a drummer. And so, you know, he's at the Stone Pony. And I had only been to the Stone Pony once, um, but loved the area. And so basically we ended up, um, one summer we ended in Normandy, but we're Normandy Beach, but we're spending so much time socially here that the following summer we rented in um, Ocean Grove. And then Sandy happened. We started looking for a house and then Hurricane Sandy happened. Um, and I believe we had put a bid on a house at that point. Keith always wanted to get back down the shore. Um, he was really, really wanting to be back in the area. He's a surfer. And um, so we put a big bid on the house and that ended up falling through. Um, and so after Sandy, we just really started looking around and a lot of the prices had dropped a lot, quite a bit. And it was funny because the first house we ended up looking at which was like out of our price range after Sandy ended up dropping to a level that we could afford. So um, we basically bought our house as like a second house. Um, and then, you know, really started to get a, getting to know people here, making friends, um, loving the foodie scene. The foodie scene, the food scene here is incredible. Um, it's almost like I don't want to announce it because I, and then I can never get into a restaurant, but the restaurants here are amazing. So I was feeling really inspired about the idea of opening a shop. I had been in business doing cookies since 2006. Basically was working on the Martha show. Um, I started off my career in fashion, ended up working um, with the decorators. It, I was working at Ralph Lauren. Um, I started in the art department drawing and working on the boards that people use to sell clothes. Uh, in men's design. That's where I met my husband. Um, and then I ended up the second part of my career at Ralph, I was working with the windows team. So it's kind of like where all the set design and things started coming in, even though I was only doing graphics for them, like I was soaking all of that information in. Ralph is like one of the best, like his windows, is, it's some of the best set design like out there. Um, and then at the time, my friend uh, Tamara was working for Martha. So that was the crossover there. Martha uh, had an opening and she had recommended me um, for the set stylist who would set her up when she goes to like shows like the Today Show. The woman who is her regular set stylist was pregnant at the time and Tamara suggested me for the job. And I ended up taking the job and then when a spot opened up on her team, um, they offered me that job. So then I worked for Martha for a while and she found out that we were doing cookies. I was doing cookies with Tamara at the time. And um, the producers were like, oh, you know, Martha loves your cookies. Would you pitch us um, cookies for holidays and pitch us segments? Like, so I would be on with Martha for every holiday decorating cookies with her. Um, and it was amazing. And as I became more and more of a, a guest regular, um, my cookie business obviously started to take off. And one of the elements of my business is that I use bottles instead of bags to ice. It's like a little technical, but it just makes it much easier. And so I started selling a kit. And one day Martha told me to look into the camera and tell everyone where they could buy this kit, where they could buy my cookies. And I said my website and my entire 
career changed. I had to leave the show. And <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. She was very, very generous with her plugs. She was always amazing to me. I always, people are like, oh, what was it like working for Martha? It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I had I, and I have to say like to, to me that like people think uh, when you're like the very little tiny bit of politics I'm in that you have power, but I can look in the camera right now and tell people to like not speed and nobody's listening. But if, but no, but I mean this sincerely, the fact that like Martha Stewart can look at a camera and be like, buy Danny B's cookies and your life changes like that. I want that. How do I get that? Cause that's the job I want. Martha Stewart is like, she's like the ultimate, like the original influencer. Like that is what totally, she is. Totally, totally. And that, that was what her show was. Yeah. I didn't want to uh, interrupt, but you mentioned something that we've covered with other uh, business owners before, like what happens when your business is more successful than you planned for? You know, we, so we had the purple glaze, um, uh, uh, yeah, Jackie and oh down for purple glaze. You guys, that's, that was such a good show. I was listening like. <laughs> yeah, though it was it. And it's a great discussion. It's like you plan to sell a hundred cookies, but then a, a thousand people show up or, you know, a thousand donuts, you know, instead of a hundred. So, it, you know, that's a real stressor on a small business. Like that it's hard to plan for what happens if your business is a really good idea and takes off, you know? So when you say you had to leave the show, is that because you had to handle, you had to handle your business or yeah, is there. I, mean, I ended up, I mean, you know, working on the show, that's like the job of a lifetime, right? I mean, if you're a set stylist, like, where do you want to work? Like, so it was, I was really torn. Um, but just like thinking about the future and knowing that Keith wanted to get back down here, he didn't want to live. He was so over, we were living in Weehawken. He was so over it. Um, there's no chance of them moving into Manhattan, you know? So it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I am not going to be able to work in television and live down here. I know some people do, but that commute would have been the end of me. So, um, you know, it was kind of like good timing that my business was taking off. Originally I was doing events as well. Um, so I was doing like smaller events where I would do like the whole package where I would do an invite, I would do flowers or centerpieces, and then the cookie would be the favor. Um, but getting some business advice, I had a bunch of people say like that they felt it was very confusing that I was doing all of these things that I love doing all those things. It's, I love doing flowers. I love doing all that. But I did get the message that it was confusing. People did not know what I, what we were offering. So once I streamlined it to the cookies um, and then Martha gave us that plug, it was it definitely was a change, a big change in the business. So. And you came down here what year, Danny? What, what, what year did you open up the shop? Gosh. So we, we had our ribbon cutting November 5th. 2017, Amy, you brought the big scissors in your car. Um, Sounds right. And you warned me about how sharp they were. Um, yeah, so we like we took we had taken the paper off the windows like the month before. So yeah, that was pretty much it. But yeah, and, I, I, I have been in the cookie business since 2006. So I've been. And when you was the idea like, and and we ask this like a lot, like people have this kind of. Um, sometimes romanticized version of Asbury Park and sometimes a, a realistic, you know, their parents brought them there as kids, you know, in the 60s or 70s or whatever. Did you, like, when you, w was it always I'm opening my shop in Asbury or did you shop around to see where you wanted to go? No, not at all. I actually never wanted to have a storefront. I, for the minute I started baking, I was like, I do not want to stand around a bakery counter and like whole people buy my cookies. It was like always what I said. 
And it was really the food scene here that inspired me. And also I have to say sidetracked me because I got so inspired by like how busy the restaurants are and that people are willing to like pay higher prices for better quality things. And, and, you know, it was really, really inspirational um, that I didn't really do the research about what that would be like in this storefront. So I definitely got sidetracked opening the cafe um, because the cafe really didn't make any money. So that was, that was definitely a hard part. Like I had a lot going on here. The bread and butter of our business is cookie favors. And I knew that with doing cookie favors and events, um, showers, weddings, all that, the favors for that is going to pay the rent. Um, and then with having the storefront and, you know, being in this like retail zone, I wanted to have hours and, you know, everyone dreams of having like a little cafe, of course. Um, but really where we are foot traffic wise, not enough people knew about us. I, I just couldn't really make the cafe work. But I mean, I stuck it out until COVID closed us. So it was an interesting experiment, um, but a little bit of a distraction because what I had going on before was really like what I'm trying to get back to now, which is really like a core cookie business. So hmm. where we sell, um, not only our decorated cookies, but we also go back to teaching people how to ice cookies. And I also design cookie cutters and materials that you use to like do this business. So, you know, that's kind of more of what I was doing before. And now like we're, we're trying to pivot back to that. Where did you learn how to make cookies? Was that a private hobby you had before that you upscaled or did you make it concentrated efforts? Like, let me figure out how, to, how this trade works and like, yeah, you know, take I, a so class or so. I was really, uh, you know, uh, my, all of my food experience is life experience. So um, I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I was an illustration major and uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. It's really hard to pick your major as a sophomore. So um, I just went with illustration because that was like kind of the only thing I knew how to do. Um, and I thought maybe I would be interested in fashion until I took um, a pattern making class. And I was like, okay, no. Like I, I, I'm really not a math person. And I just, I, I was like, okay, it's not for me. Um, so I stuck with illustration. I got into photography a little bit like later on and the photography thing really like synced with me. So I was, I even became like a TA. I was an assistant in the dark room and really got into that. Um, yeah. So, but fast forward, fast forward, Keith and I were getting married and I was looking for a wedding favor and, you know, looking at the cat and the pages of Martha Stewart and thinking, oh gosh, it would be so fun. I wish I knew how to ice cookies like this because I could draw like this, but I can't, I, I didn't know any of the materials. So uh, pretty much after our wedding, my friend brought some decorated cookies for a rehearsal dinner, Tamara. She was like, you could do this. You're an illustrator um, and encouraged me to try it. And we kind of developed our system with the bottles and figured out how to make it easier because holding a pastry bag, it's like this big bag where you have to like really manage how the, the icing comes out of it. We use a bottle and it just feels like drawing. You just turn it over and you know, even have kids use the bottle. So um, that was like a huge revelation. So I just kind of started interpreting my illustration skills into icing cookies. So it's just, it's kind of just like my own original style. It's interesting too, because um, I used to be a much better artist. Like I used to really be able to draw very, very well. I always had like a childlike, kid-like quality to my drawings, 
but now I have a hard time seeing things other than like how it would look as a cookie. Like, so it's like <laughs> everything shapes on things. It's very, very strange. So. Everything has googly eyes on it. Yes. Oh, and everything. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I, I had read that. You, I'm sorry, Amy, go ahead. No, Amy. no, go ahead. No, because I might change the subject. So, um, well, so I, the only thing I was going to say related to this. So one of my, and I hope I got this right, but one of my favorite stories about you, Danny, is me being in your shop one day doing something and you being like, and this was kind of early on. You're like, dude, nobody here cares. I have a food Emmy. And I was, just, I was, and I was like, no, but nobody here knows what that is, Dan. Okay. First of all, and it's my favorite story because I was like, I remember saying to Heather, oh my God, Danny is a food Emmy. And being like super impressed. I was like, I've never met anyone who has an Emmy, let alone a food Emmy. So I need you to just spend 10 seconds on the food Emmy. So the Emmy I have, which is hilarious. Okay, so Keith wants me to like put my Emmy in the shop, which is like so embarrassing. How is your Emmy not in the shop lit up with literally like directions to it? Because I'll tell you what, mine would be. It'd be like walk in, stop by the Emmy and then come to the counter. You just shrine to yourself. Absolutely. Like I like you and Tara are so, like Tara, also we and Tara the show, like so modest. It was like, She's like killing it in the world of like salons and for, for, to get, for her to like mildly pat herself on the back, I think we had to be like, Jesus, Tara. I mean, you've done a lot. I was listening to that episode in the car and I was like, Tara, you have like, you just like blew up. Like she's amazing. Like she has all these businesses now all these employees she's doing so great and like you're like pulling it out of her like, oh 100 really, like, so i just feel like, like Danny, that emmy should be like literally yeah. it should have its own table it should have its own lights <laughs> and it should be what like, we it, see when we walk in and like a, a garish lights blinking totally you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my emmy is actually uh so first of all it's a, it's a it's not a food emmy it's a daytime emmy that okay. Got with a, it's an art department, so it's part of an art department. It wasn't just like me who got it. Um, and it's a funny story because I actually ended up accepting the Emmy on behalf of the show that year, which is so crazy. So Aunt Martha has like five million Emmys. So by the time I was working on her show, no one was going to the Emmys. No one was going to like the daytime, you know, show. But Keith was like, oh, we got that. What? We have to go to this. Are you kidding me? When are you ever going to have this opportunity again? And, you know, we love LA and he was doing a lot of business out there for fashion. So, you know, we were like, okay, let's go for a long weekend in LA. We'll go to the shop. And, you know, we're sitting there, we're late, of course, like running in. And like all of a sudden, they're like the Martha Show, like art department. And I was like, oh my God. So I stood up. And it was me and the executive producer, Bernie, at the time. And I got up to the stage and he was like, you're making this speech. And I was like, what? Like, it was crazy. It was total blur. No, we have no pictures or recording of it. I have no idea. I, I just know that I said something about, you know, Martha being so inspirational and, and really just such a great mentor, too. Um, and where is the Emmy? The Emmy is in our house. Um, we like have, in full display? It, it, yeah. <laughs> oh no, we have it out. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, it's on a shelf. Like, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I really hesitate 
to be so um, in people's face with like that kind of stuff. And it's interesting too, because Tara, um, I know you're trying to pull it out of Tara. She's also an Aries. I don't know if it has something to do with like our birth sign, but I hate to be too braggy. I don't want to intimidate anybody with like being like this boastful, like braggy person. It's just like, I, you know, it's just not who I am. But yes, I do have an Emmy. Yeah. It's hey. cool. Amy's 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 right though. It, it's a, but there's a dichotomy. A, Amy, I agree. You should put it, display it in a garish fashion. But Amy is also correct that half of New Jersey does not care <laughs> or know Absolutely. what that is. <laughs> what, what they, so I think that's a great. It's awesome. It's like yes, I got a daytime Emmy, but but no, you know, New Jersey. Everyone's like, what? What is that? Or like 25 miles outside of New York City, outside of the industry, right? Like, you know. I will say that when we went to the awards or ceremony and like the Emmy was handed to me. And then we walked back like through the hotel and sat down in a restaurant with it. Like it was, that was like a very big deal. And it was like very embarrassing, but yeah, like in LA and California, people know what that is, but here like people are, I mean, definitely when people come over and see it, especially if I, if they don't know I have an Emmy, they're like, is that real? <laughs> you know, you wouldn't really know the difference if it was real or not. So no, I think it's such a great yeah, story. And the way you said it to me that day was so hysterical. I, I, I don't like sometimes when you think of people and like you have this story and you're like, people tell me stories of something I said to them. And I'm like, I don't ever remember. That. <laughs> um, but I have this vision of you in your shop saying that about the Emmy. And it was always um, anyway, makes me laugh. Okay, before, so we're at 5.32 and I have to hit a couple of things first. One being the big, because, part, you know, we're trying to focus a little bit on, um, you know, COVID and the pivoting everybody's had to do. You know, we've had Russell, Bianca, Tar like just everything that, that's happened. So uh, I want to ask a couple questions related to that. Yeah. One, were you like Jackie Sharp and I, like in September, concerned about COVID? And then were, do you see what I did there, Joe? <laughs> or August. Maybe I was in August. I was concerned about it. Or was it nineteen ninety two when you worried about COVID? Yeah, twenty. Yeah, twenty fourteen really busted big. <laughs> so one, what were you thinking around December, January, March, and then kind of? And you've talked about the pivoting, and and I would venture a guess that being in television, you pivot every second of the day when things don't. So so the pivoting may have come a little, um, you know, slightly easier. The, the one really interesting uh, other business that we opened or that we uh, interviewed was Catsbury, who were like in the mix of this ringworm epidemic. And so, again, they knew COVID existed, but they were not, you know, it, it's a story that I tell a lot because it struck me when they were like, we were just trying to survive ringworm. Like yeah. we did not get the gravity. Yeah. So um, my father was a pharmacist um, all of his life and basically, you know, at, at, as a result, like the doctor of the family. So I grew up with him always talking about medicine and drugs and, you know, people would ask him for advice. He worked for Sandoz, which turned into Novartis later on, and he was there the entire time. I think he worked there for 36 years. Um, and he actually always, always, always talked about a super bug that could come and easily like wipe everybody out. It was like, he was like, you know, they were working on this for that and all this, you know, type of stuff. So yeah, I, I was always, you know, you always have that in the back of your head, you know? Um, so with COVID, yes, I became very concerned in November 
Um, we also had a friend whose dad was, was really ill and the symptoms sounded to me like what I was hearing about was happening to people in Wuhan. And I was like, oh, I'm being crazy. Like I gotta, I gotta take it down a notch. Like, you know, but I, I really couldn't help but think it, it was really like, so the same symptoms. And I, and then I just started thinking like, well, why would it, how could it not come here? I mean, if it's, if it's this contagious and there's still planes flying in the air, then, you know, and also we have a moron running the country. Like, how <laughs> are we thinking that this is not going to happen here? I don't, I don't understand. So I, yeah, I started to be really, I was really, really afraid like in December. And then, um, on top of that, um, but you know, I was afraid of it, but then like convincing myself at the same time, like it's not going to happen. And then Keith is very good friends with, we're very good friends with Bianca and Tony, Bianca from Interwoven and her husband, Tony. And he gave Keith a call. Um, I think it was in January and he's like, you know, bro, I got to talk to you. And Keith's like, what? You know, like, you know, they're usually texting and surfing. And he was like, I, I need you to go out and, and like start a bunker. And Keith's like, what? And he was like, listen, just do it. I'm going to give you a list. I want you to go get this stuff. Worst comes to worst, you just use it. And like, he had, like, he basically was like, go buy toilet paper, food for a month batteries all like he had like a list and he was just he was like it is coming here and i i don't know why people aren't afraid so that was like early january so keith and i, I start with the bunker right and we're referring to it as a bunker and uh start preparing i told a few people here they all looked at me like i was crazy amy i think i told you about the bunker didn't i yeah, but I wouldn't have looked at you like you were crazy because I had my own bunker going on. <laughs> so I would have been like, hell yeah. yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So we did do that preparation. And then, um, I, you know, the other thing was at the time I was a traveling chef for Macy's Culinary Council. And this was like the last thing. Like I had booked a, um, a so basically I would I would go to uh, various like flagship Macy's and do a cookie workshop there. And so I had traveled to a lot of places like California. I went to a few places there, and I think I was slotted to go to Chicago at the end of March. And you know I started to get nervous. I was like, oh god, you know. The, oh, the other thing too was like. Then all of a sudden Italy started happening, and people are dying in the streets in Italy, and I'm like hello like this is really bad everybody like i don't understand why we're not like freaking out and closing down like air travel and all this kind of stuff so i, I was really upset about italy anyway i thought i was gonna have to get on a plane at the end of march because they weren't canceling the event macy's was not closing their stores they weren't canceling the event i didn't want to be that person so i ended up ordering some masks online and i had masks really early on so i I was going in shop right wearing a mask and everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. And it was so funny too, because the first mask I ordered was so tight that like I would take it off and I had like those marks all over my face. But I was so scared. I mean, the truth is I was really, really scared and we did prepare for it. And and did you did you have your shop open until when did you decide that you should you had to close things down? Um, March 15th was our last day. So we had a, a small workshop the day before. I was so nervous. Um, I had Dallas's mom in that weekend um, because she was setting up 
the League of Women Voters thing for our I event. remember. Now that you're saying this, I totally and remember. I was like, yes, yes. So worried. What if I gave her COVID? Oh my God. You know, we were de- we decorated the fem- feminist suffragette tree. That was like in our right. That was it, you know. But it was pretty much around the same time that you guys decided to close after it because you closed earlier than New Jersey. Told we us did, to. Yeah. yeah, and we closed because we saw we we were seeing, particularly in the nightlife world in Asbury, that people were not taking it as seriously as they needed. I to. remember you telling me the Jimmy story that you were out in Jimmy's and that like it was like a regular. It was like 2019 in Jimmy's, you know. So. Yeah. No, it was, and I love Jimmy. So I know I tell that story a lot and I feel terrible, but cause it's probably, you know, one of my favorite restaurants. Everyone knows I love Jimmy's, but yeah, no, that was frightening. <laughs> yeah. And everybody there's like 200. So it's not even like, you're not the base of people. Everybody sitting at this bar is the base of people who are predominantly going to get this and die, potentially die from it. And it's also like a lot of families go there. Like that's a, that's one of the places you take your Italian family. So, you know, you're right. there with like the grandmother, the parents, the whole family. It's just like, it, it's just, yeah, it was just really, really scary. We, um, so yeah, so I ended up closing the shop that day. I knew that the cafe would probably never reopen. Um, but did you have like events like were were all the weddings canceled? Like part of your bread and butter is is doing all of these events, right? Yeah. So that we just like days before people started canceling and asking for their deposits back. And I think that in any business like this, asking for your deposit back is so it is so hard because you don't necessarily always you don't get a deposit and like put in your savings account. You know, you're right. circulating that into the business so the first couple of people I was able to give their deposit back and then it was like this was happening to everyone and it became public information that that is a really hard thing to do on a business so a lot of people were like I have this deposit I'm just gonna put it like keep it put it towards credit when the pandemic's over you know a couple of people took gift cards for their deposit but yeah I was very lucky that most of my customers were like aware of what was happening. And like the word got out that giving deposits back as a small business is a very, very, very hard thing to do. So, you know, that's really interesting. Nobody's brought that up, but it makes perfect sense now that you're saying it. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, it's just as simple as that. You don't take a deposit and put it into a savings account until, you know, somebody comes and picks up their order. I pay rent with it. Employees with it. I, you know, it's, it's circulating money. So yeah, a lot of people are also pushing like the gift cards to like keep them afloat. And I didn't do that because it's, it's actually even a little hard for me for a similar reason. If someone buys a $200 gift card today, I am not saving that money until they come and spend it. I am, I'm spending that money. So then you know, on a weekend, like someone walk would walk in here and want to spend two hundred dollars. Well, first of all, that's like practically our whole decorated case because we didn't really we don't really carry that many decorated cookies just like at random. Um, so yeah, so I did have some people buy gift cards, but my pivot had to be something that was like, you pay for it, you take it, and that was what when we came up with the weekend cookie boxes. So, which yeah, well, explain what that. Um... Right. So Joe, that's what I, I dropped off to you a weekend cookie box. Okay. So basically I, I, I knew that I was probably not going to be able to reopen the cafe for a long time. And 
you know, business wise, I wasn't sure how much sense it would make to reopen anyway. So I was thinking about, you know, what is it that people are buying? And, um, and what do I love about like being able to share this business with people? And my favorite thing is like coming up with themes and, and, you know, sharing, like, it's, it's really like, spreading love and like people are happy. Like when you open up a box of cookies, it's, it's hard to not smile. So um, I just started coming up with some themes that would maybe cheer people up or uh, maybe a theme that they would want to leave on somebody's doorstep. A lot of people were doing like the ding dong dash thing. And then um, our chocolate chip cookies are some of the best out there. I like to, I, I'm not braggy, but they're very, very good. Maybe the best. Um, and so, Basically, at the base of the box, you would have chocolate chip cookies. That was our bestseller in the cafe. And then on top your of Your chocolate chip cookies are amazing. I mean, they are absolutely amazing. And so, Amy, then in your box, I made you uh, to try and let me know how it is. We made the vegan version of our cookie cake. So it's basically- Oh, nice. You know that cookie cake that you used to get in the mall? It's kind of like a takeoff on that. But, and then- Okay, cool. It's a vegan version. And then for Jensen, I put two of our decorated cookies in there. Nice. So, it is, does one happen to be a shark? I didn't have any sharks. I thought he might want to try something new anyway. So okay, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> He's a harsh critic. I, the, well, that, to give an endorsement of, the, of these cookie boxes, if you're out there wondering how the, um, you know, just hearing about Sweet Danny B's cookies, these, uh, a box of these cookies would be a good starter kit. <laughs> it was very... Uh, you know, as I met we, before the show started, I mentioned that, you know, Danny dropped one off a few minutes, a uh, few minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, and I've already eaten half the box. Cause I was like, <laughs> just to make sure they were good. <laughs> like it was kind of like, if you haven't tried our cookies before, this is a great way because you're going to get a chocolate chip. You're going to get like, we run a special every week of what the combination would be. So some weeks we have like, you could get a chocolate chip and then you could get two molasses cookies or you get last week we had oatmeal raisin that was really popular. And then on top, you're going to get two decorated cookies. That way you could taste those. And, you know, again, it's just, it's just like, it's basically a curbside version of the cafe. For me, it is so much better. I was terrible at the bakery business and I don't even know, like, if I was so terrible at it, I am mystified by it. I don't understand how bakeries, because I grew up going to, like, I have my favorite New Jersey bakeries, Majors and Lynnhurst, amazing. Carlo's, which is the cake boss, I grew up going there because my mom grew up in Hoboken. So that was, like, my childhood bakery. Um, and then Lynnhurst Pastry Shop. Those are, like, the three... And you would walk in there and it would just be like measures is like cases of like baked goods. And, and so I never understood the theory of just like baking 10,000 things, hoping someone would walk in and buy them. So I think that that has to do with the fact that I'm self-taught and I self-taught myself how to make a cookie that takes a really long time to decorate. So I already knew the labor that I was getting into. Um, and so just multiply that, but I, I just, I, I never really understood, like, what does everybody do with that stuff? Do they throw it out? Do they donate it? Do they, like, you never get paid for it, but you had employees work on it. So, so I have to tell you what, we had Russell on and I kid you not, he called his cupcakes time bombs. So no, I can't, no, seriously. So he describes having this cupcake place in Ocean Grove 
And it was a time bomb because if you did not sell it by a certain period of time, they were getting thrown out. And he, he, you know, and similar to Tara talking about kind of her first salon going under, and I don't believe the cupcake place went under for Russell, but he eventually got out of it. And he, he described that as like a really great learning experience because, you know, I'll never forget him being like a cupcake's a time bomb because I, you know, as a, as a patron, I was like, I don't, I have no, I don't understand how any of it works, right? Like I pop in a shop and grab something and then I keep going. So yeah, it's all really interesting to me, but I I think a lot of people spend time mystified on how to do that in a way that is efficient. Agree. I think one of the other things that was really interesting that came out of COVID was how immediately restaurants started talking transparently about their margins and how they they're gonna have to close in like a month like you're not your margin is like nothing like you're you're just not circulating money like the way other businesses and i thought it was interesting from like you know from like me to like momofuko like the high higher end people that you think are making millions we're all like kind of feeling like the same terror about like what what are you going to do so especially because of liquor i mean that's a there's a reason that martini's 15 dollars that's covering the cost of the food which is which they may be losing money on yes and it was funny too because back to russell that was one of the things that russell said to me he was like well if you want some security you should get a liquor license (laughs) i was like oh my god i i can barely even handle like the cookie thing i couldn't imagine Handing a liquor license, but I, I know what he's saying. I absolutely get it. It's what, um, what about it, what about edible marijuana cookies? Now that it's legal, is that is that in your future? <laughs> oh so, yes. Yeah, so I was doing CBD granola for a long time, um, and and it was like really really popular, and it was really good. Um, our granola is really good. Um, and then all of a sudden, like the CBD market just like blew up, and it, there's so much CBD everywhere. It stopped selling uh, the way it was. But yes, um, I I feel like you already texted me and were like, I sell? And I was like, I don't know. I don't understand what's happening. I was like, I think I was like, do you have any idea when I could maybe start selling some (laughs) life-changing chocolate chips that have (laughs) marijuana in them? Because I think if I'm ever going to see a line out the door here, it'll be for those. Totally. Yeah. I I had a... um... It's a question I had before when you mentioned RISD. So I don't want to extend the, we're coming up on, I'm going to be mindful of your time, but um, you had mentioned you'd gone to RISD and I had a question I had written down beforehand when I saw that you went there about the, the, the similarity of Providence and Asbury Park. You no. Know, so what, were you at in, in Providence in the, in the nineties? Yeah. So I, I was class of 95. Um, we, the Renaissance of, um, of Providence was like just about happening when I graduated um, it's much different now from when I was there. I was definitely a little bit um, rougher, a little bit more dilapidated, uh, not as built up as it is now. Now, it's a great, I, I love Providence. I, I often talk about maybe retiring there in case like, no, no, sir. Um, this is where we're retiring. Hmm. Um, but so was, had water fire been created yet? Yeah, or? not while I was in college. Okay. But um, I love RISD so much, and um, two of my best friends I met there. So for years and years after, we would go to alumni weekend and go to Waterfire. And 
Water fire is something I would love to bring here. I think it would be so amazing here. And you're so right. There are, there are a lot of similarities to Providence. And um, it's funny too, because Keith works on the Wesley Lake Commission. And uh, that lake is actually not so far from the condition of the uh, canals in, in uh, Rhode Island, which they were also in horrible polluted condition. So it's on his list. Like he was like, it would be incredible to pair, uh, pair up with John from Lake House and do like a water fire here. It would be amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it every time I go down there, you do it on both sides or all, you could do it on all three lakes even. Yeah, you could like coordinate the three lakes yeah. and it's basically just about music and people being together. And then um, they added like a vendor element to it. So, and even like when it's cold, people selling hot chocolate, it's amazing. I love Rhode Island. I highly recommend it for so, like a long weekend visit. Yeah, I, I, for those of you who don't know, what we're talking about you. Know, uh, I don't buddy, have a clue what you're talking so about. Buddy Cianci, the uh, uh, you know, make quotation marks, the colorful mayor of uh, Providence, Rhode Island, decided he wanted to make Providence like Venice, like like many industrial cities. Providence had paved over its its natural features. It had paved over a river, and Buddy was like, "I'm going to dig it up and make it a canal like Venice." And um, so they dug up the river. They put these. Uh, what do they call those that you put firewood in? Not crash, but whatever. Put these receptacles for for firewood. Yeah, it's almost like one of, like one of your outdoor fire pits, but yeah. blazed in the water. And lined the whole river with like you know every hundred you know fifty to seventy five yards. There's one, and they have people in gondolas going up and down feeding it. And so they light them at night, and then on both sides of the river, there's all restaurants and music, and people just walk up walk up and down look at the beautiful fire, have drinks, listen to live music and essentially just hang out outside. And it's really remarkable what he did considering what it looked like before. Yes. Oh, it's, wow. It's actually, I think it's a playlist. It's, it's just like a specific playlist that they like, you know, like they decide on every time and it's just like echoes throughout the canal. So it's, it's really, uh, and the music never stops. There's no pause. Like it's just music to music to music. And it just, it's really like so romantic feeling. It's, it's a really amazing experience. I think it's insane. It is insane that there's people dressed up in a gondola, in gondola costumes and stuff. But otherwise the idea, the rest of the idea is you look at it, you're do like, they still Jesus. Do that? I wonder if they still do that. So Buddy Cianci spoke at my um, graduation. Um, you know, he was, yeah, I think he went to jail like right after he was, he went to, he went to jail here in New Jersey, here at Fort Dix, the federal pen, penitentiary. So he lived in New well, Jersey. So for quite when a long you time. guys are saying this, I'm like, Oh, that makes us, uh, this council look terrible that we didn't do. I mean, what a great idea. So I'm happy to hear that. At least he ended if, up in jail. Well, if we're going to feel really inadequate, if you want to hear, uh, if you want to hear more about buddy Cianci, there's a great podcast called crime town which describes one season is, is a pretty good description of, you know, Buddy Cianci and the, how organized crime run, ran Providence and may still run Providence, but, but you know, how Waterfire came to be. What was that? Danny? All right. I'm going to circle this back to Danny B because we have like six <laughs> minutes left. Sorry. Danny, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Like, are you, are, are events opening? Like, take us through, like, are you seeing a turnaround and do you have to like somehow do your cookies differently or? Yeah. Well, so it's interesting where I'm definitely seeing things open back up and people are, you know, talking about like right, right now it's, graduation parties, teacher appreciation, Mother's Day. I have to put up our Mother's Day menu um, after this. So yeah, I'm seeing things open back up. Not 
to the extent that it was before. I'm kind of like in a little bit of a pickle though, because in this time, we have really changed our space into a studio. It's really so much more now like an artist studio. We had to add, we had so many cookies going out. I had to add another full speed rack. Um, we have props and everything. So with social distancing, I really can't have anybody in here yet. So I'm in a little bit of a hard spot because I need places to do classes. Um, right now I'm working with Capitaline, um, working with Whitechapel Project, and I could use a, a, a few other places. Um, you really kind of need a party room for it. Um, but I'm hoping to be able to have classes back in here by June. And we'll start off with like six to eight people. Um, and we could also do private parties. I mean, if it's a private party, it's a group of people that are coming together and they already know each other, most likely vaccinated or whatever it is. But for the general classes, it's tough because uh, we're a small space and you know, you're know you asking somebody to sit pretty close to somebody else. And I think that there's gonna be a lot of hesitancy, so. Hmm. So yeah, and that's a big part of our business. What's tough is we're very busy with cookie orders, but when it comes to that, it's it basically, I just break even on that. I, I could pay the rent, I could pay payroll, but I have no life because I'm sitting here icing cookies. There's no way with all the orders that we have that I can't be icing cookies all day. So I really need to get back to the classes. I need, I really need to add some things to the business that I don't have to be touching all the time um, in order to like, just like kind of get to the next level. So. We are going to be selling our cookie cutter designs. Um, for years, I was selling them with a company called Copper Gifts, and they were these beautiful copper cookie cutters. And um, they ended up retiring. And 3D printing is like the hottest thing. So that's something that's like part of my pivot is getting um, our cookie cutter designs back up online. And we're really looking to expand our website. You know, right now it's just like small, like placeholder stuff, but we'll have that up on the website. Um, and, and people can order from your website as well? Not, probably yes, by the time this, <laughs> by the time this goes, yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're right on the, on, the, on the cusp of putting up a new website and it's gonna have, so what it is is we've got our contact forms to be much more detailed. You could order to cookie cap, Top cake, fill out this form. You want to order a weekly cookie box, fill out this form. So we had to get really specific there. Um, booking private parties. Um, I'm vaccinated, so I'll go to people's houses and, you know, with all the protocols and wearing masks. But um, I think at some point you're probably going to get killed on weddings because everybody's rescheduling, or at least a couple of people that I know personally are like starting the whole looking for wedding venues again yeah, as well. Which is great. And I love working on weddings here specifically because people are not only doing wedding cookies here. We're doing waves, we're doing Tilly, we're doing like Asbury Park, like shells and like fun stuff like that. So um, yeah, our wedding business, I could see it like trickling back with the showers. And then I think like eventually for fall that weddings will be back. So that's great news. So I have to bring up two quick, two quick things and then, and Joe can bring up whatever he needs to bring up. But one, the way I met you was you were one of the organizers for the Asbury Park Women's March, yeah. where I got a call saying like 40,000 people are going to show up. No, I think like 10, well, but still. the first call. E either, either way, you know, we love that. We love when we're like, hey, 
we didn't get any permits or call the police or Homeland Security. And like 10,000 10, people are coming, Amy. What can you do about Homeland that? Homeland Security needs to be involved. <laughs> um, but I say all that to say one of the organizers of the Women's March and one of you, you help us organize the Esward Park Women's Convention. You also hire local and hire women. Um, you are also a run and owned um, woman's business. So I just want to like give those shout outs because we get, um, you know, those are all amazing things. Dan. So I just yes, want to acknowledge thank that. You. Yes, the, the Women's March was incredible. Asbury Park is incredible that way. You know, the Tri-City talks about all the time how it's like, you know, such a progressive area. Amy, you know, I think you're amazing. I love the council. It's just, it's so inspirational to see so many women, you know, working in government here and, and doing amazing things. And um, yeah, the Women's March was incredible. I, you know, I kind of reached out to a couple of friends and was like, you know, you know, this march is happening. Maybe we should like organize it here. We thought it would be like 200 people. And then before I knew it, I was calling Amy Quinn and saying, um, so by accident, we have like a really, a lot bigger march plan than I thought. And you were going to Washington. So you weren't going to- I was. Meet. So that was the crazy part of it. I know, and police were like, so a lot of people don't know this and I'm not gonna spend time on this because it's not that interesting, but I don't think people, and and it's probably our fault, we don't, we don't tell people enough, like the amount of security that you don't see at these marches is astronomical. So yeah, the state police are called, the local police are put on guard. And this isn't, this isn't as a result of, you know, you know, kind of what's happened in the last year. This is the Women's March four years ago this is pride every year for the last 30 years like homeland security checks all the garbage cans um and any places that you could hide a bomb and then local police county police state police are you know mixed in dressed you know so yeah you know we should probably do some kind of like this is this takes weeks to plan because all of these people need to sweep the route they need to sweep the garbage can. They need to sweep anywhere in the Pride Festival where they're going to put potential bombs. But anyway, so the one other thing I want to say that I would be remiss because we're after six is if you had to give somebody advice on being, on starting their own business, whether it's, you know, cupcakes or cookies or event planning, like, you know, do you have words of wisdom? Well, I, th I think that the bakery business is very tough. It has a reputation of being tough and it absolutely is. So do your homework. Um, your rent is not just what you owe the landlord. Your rent is payroll. It is workman's comp. It is electric. It is water. It is having some money in case there's a flood in your basement, which we had. So your rent is much bigger than just what goes to your landlord. So definitely do that calculation. Um, if you are going to open a bakery, one thing is checking the foot traffic in the area or otherwise, how are you going to get clients? I came to this space with clients. I already had a business happening and built in. Um, there's, there's still people today. We've been here since 2017 who walk up to the door and we're, are like, we had no idea you were here. So it's very interesting. Like, how are you going to promote? How are you going to get customers? So if you don't have a built-in customer already, I would recommend doing that before you're paying all of those other bills, which right. still to this day, it astounds me. Insurance, 
um, like workman's comp, all of like payroll tax, you know, get, you get audited every year. That's like terrifying. Like all of this stuff that I, I almost like, I always say that I'm not sure I would have opened had I known all of that other things. So um, I hired an accountant right away. I've always had worked with an accountant, but for the business, um, you know, before, once we had the storefront, I got a tax ID number, it became like formal, formal business and hired an accountant right, right away. And uh, he's somebody who works with a lot of restaurants and just knows the deal. And you cannot mess around with like, you know, sales tax and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that I would be terrible at it. And so that is the best money I ever spent. But don't forget to add that to your rent because that's a monthly fee that you have to pay for. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You really need to do your homework. The one thing that you said that I think is really true um, is like, know your, know what you're not going to be good at. Like, I know certain things that I'm not good at that we need to hire. We need to hire either in my day job or the city. Like you need somebody else to be checking that because that is not something that makes me like passionate. These are all the things that make me passionate. And I know that about myself. So I think that's actually a really good quality to have. We are at 603. Joe, do you have anything before? No, actually, you covered that. That last question was, I had the same one. So I have nothing oh. to add. Danny, thank you for taking the time. Cool. Right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks so much. Good to see you guys. Thanks. You can find Sweet Danny B's cookies at sweetdannybee.com and on Instagram at sweetdannybee.com.